We've been going through the Messianic Psalms. We began this after spending some time in the book of Revelation. And we go back in the Psalms in the Old Testament and find the same exact thing, the revelation of Jesus Christ and His finished Word. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. He is our Deliverer. He's our Savior. He's our God. He is God manifest to us. Whether Genesis 1 or the end of Revelation, everything here is about Christ, even the history of His people, how He carried them and loved them and chose them and saves them and did save them. We come today to the 110th Psalm and the covet prayers. <clears throat> the Lord said unto my Lord. Now we've got to understand and surely we have seen by now that God is the Lord and God made and God said and it was and God said and it was and then we come to the point in Genesis He's called and the Lord because He created man He created all things in the world and our God the Father God is the Lord of all things He's the Lord of creation He's the Lord of man He's Lord over Everything created, including the wicked, with the ability to control them because they created them. And He's the Lord to His people. But there is a deeper, intimate meaning of Him being the Lord of His people. But He is the Lord, the Creator. This, the Lord said, that is, God the Father. The Lord said unto my Lord, my Savior, your Savior. This is not just speaking of the living Word of God, the second person of the Godhead. For God said again in Genesis, let us make man in our image. That's the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This Lord is not only the living Word of God, therefore all God. He's also the Son of Man. And He's all man. My Lord, my God, my Savior. The Father, the Lord, said unto the Son, begotten of the Holy Spirit, the man, the Savior, who's been at work from before the world was. When God said, let there be light and there was, that was Christ. When God spoke the world into existence, that's Christ, the living Word of God. He was there. He's eternal. And we see this also as being the Son of Man and God manifest in the flesh. So importantly, as I've said so many times going through these Psalms, this is God manifest in the flesh. God would suffer. God would lay His life down. God would die. And I call your attention very quickly to the thought we had last week of the disciples after Christ was crucified before they knew that He was the risen but He'd already come forth from the grave and they were distraught and they were heartbroken and they were depressed and every sad, uh, fearful imagination. We, we thought this was He who would deliver Israel. He's the Lord. He's the man. He raised forth from the grave. This is the Christ. The Lord... Father God said unto my Lord, the man, Jesus Christ, the man who suffered, bled, and died, the man who laid his life down, the man who revealed himself unto them that he was risen, that he was alive. The Lord, the Father said to the Son, sit thou at my right hand. This man whose father was God, this man who suffered and bled and died. This man that was so beloved 
by His followers and His disciples who turned from the world to follow Him because He gave them life, because He died for them, because He quickened them, because He called them, because He first loved them. This man who would suffer for the sins, and as we said last week, save His people from their sins. God is saying unto him, this man, this is so very important, the man, Jesus Christ, in the body of flesh, holes in his hands, holes in his feet, a spear hole in his side. This man, we are flesh and blood. We are so far beneath God. He's higher than us as the heavens are above the earth. And all of the billions of stars and planets and, and, and all that's upon this earth and all the people upon this earth and everything else created. Catch that. God knows you. God loves you. God chose you. This man died for us. God is telling this man, Jesus Christ, who redeemed His people, who suffered and bled and died, sit thou at My right hand. The right hand is a place of power. The right hand is a place of glory. When the kings would sit someone at their right hand. It may be an emissary or, or an ambassador from another country. It may be one among the people. It may be the prince. It may be his queen if she's present. There's a picture of the church, the bride. But God is telling the Son, the man, bore the body of man, made in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet without sin, that He might redeem us. The Lord said unto this man in His body, His body, brethren, suffered for us that our body will suffer not that wrath. His body lay in the ground our death three days and three nights that our body would not lay in the ground would be raised up. He came forth in that body under the resurrection of life. He raised Himself up and justifying us being raised up with Him. That's why He's called the first begotten from the dead. He came forth after defeating death. He died that death. He defeated that death. He came forward from death. And we have life in Him and justified in that. And God is telling Him, sit thou at My right hand. Do you remember the text where... The sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, the mother asked the Lord, can one of my children sit on my right hand and one on the left? And the Lord basically told her, that's not mine to give. That's for who it's prepared. And then we go to Matthew 25-31, we see who it's prepared for. He says it is the sheep. He sets them. On his right hand. They're there because he put them there. He placed them there. They've been translated. They've been taken from the nature of Adam and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And they inherit the right hand and the wicked the left. But here we see Christ Jesus, the man in the flesh, sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's in a place of power. The living Word is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's eternal in creation. He was there. He'll be there when this world is over. He's the second person of the Godhead. Same in deity. Same in power. Same in wisdom. Same in majesty as the Father and the Holy Spirit. All three. One Godhead. But this is speaking of the man Jesus Christ. We've already talked about God carrying Him, God helping Him, God blessing Him, preparing Him a body for the suffering which He would endure. He is sitting there at the right hand of the Majesty on high. 
They saw Him taken up into the clouds, the cloud of witness. I personally do not believe that was the clouds like we see the clouds in the sky. Personally, I believe that was all those who came forth from the grave after His resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. I don't believe God raised Him up to die again. I believe that they were caught up in a cloud of witness with Christ as He went into the heaven. And when He's in the heaven... He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. The man in the body of a man, Jesus Christ, whose mother was Mary, whose father was God. God is telling him, sit thou at my right hand. This man in flesh, sit there in my power, in my majesty, in my glory. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Let's consider that. Now Christ is at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is, has always been, and always will be as a living word, the power of God, the express image of His person, the brightness of His glory, the wisdom of God. This man, Jesus Christ, sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. Matthew 25.31, when He appears in His glory as the man, the Son of Man, that's what He's called there, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high in power and majesty. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. In heaven and immortal glory, He will always be what He always has been. He laid His glory aside to be born in this world. When He returned to the heaven, the Father restored His glory of the Godhead unto Him. The man, Jesus Christ, who shall appear, Matthew 25, in His glory. That glory is Him. Again, it's on Him. It's manifested in Him again. It always will be. But catch this. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. You consider God before whom sin cannot exist. When we arrive in heaven in immortal glory, every child of God, chosen from before the world was, The body will be raised up in the image of Christ. That means righteous, holy, without sin. Be reunited with the Spirit. And so shall we ever, so shall we ever be with the Lord. I say that to make this point. There will be no enemies in heaven. There will be no sin in heaven. There will be no death, no disease. Everything will be perfect. David said, when I awake in thy likeness, I shall be satisfied. Everything will be perfect. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This is teaching us that the man Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the majesty on high until the time This is temporally speaking. He's not going to leave the throne. But this is just purely teaching us that Christ, the man, is at the right hand of the majesty on high forever making intercession for our sins all through time. There won't be enemies in heaven. The enemies are here in the world. This is where we need Christ. This is where where we need the Gospel. There won't be preaching in heaven. Preaching is by faith. What a man seeth, why did he have hope for? This is, this is here. When we get to heaven, there's not preaching. We'll see Him. Here, we see Him by faith. And the preaching feeds our soul. But to make the point that He sits at the right hand of the Majesty on high forever making intercession for us, fighting our enemies, subduing our enemies. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul. teaches us in 
Then cometh the end, 1524, when He shall deliver up the kingdom of God, that's the entirety of the church eternal, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and authority and power, all the powers of darkness, whether they're in false churches, whether they're in churches deceiving God's people, whether they're in government or whatever reign, all principalities, all powers will be put down because Christ will put them down. That comes when He delivers up the kingdom. That comes when we reach heaven and immortal glory by His grace. But now watch this. For He must reign. He must. Because He is God. He is the living Word. He's the power of God. He's the express image of His person, the brightness of His glory. He's God manifest in the flesh. For He, the man, Christ, must reign till He who, God the Father, hath put all enemies under His feet. He will reign over this world with the saints of God now we know we've talked about this. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. He reigns over the evil by restraining them. But my point in the intimacy we have with God is He reigns over us, within us, and loves us and comforts us and carries us. But He must reign with us. The right hand of the Majesty on high. The body of the man. Till He has put all enemies under His feet. When time exists no more. Now, the next verse. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Hebrews 2 teaches us that Christ has already defeated death. He did that by lowering Himself down to the death of the cross. He came forth from the grave. He is arisen. The stone was rolled away. He had defeated death. He died our death for us and He came forth under the justification of life for us that we would be justified. So then how will the last enemy destroyed be death? When the last elect, promised, heir of God, given to the Son before the world was ever created in the realm of eternity, is born of the Spirit of God, then there will be no more death to God to God's children. There will be no more death in sin to God's children. He will deliver up the kingdom to God on high. Now, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Christ reigns with us in this world as long as time endures. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Gil says this is speaking about the preaching of the Gospel, but it leaves in Gospel regeneration. I'll put the Gospel with it and I'll have that, but not in the sense of regeneration because life must precede action. We must be alive to have ears to hear. But the Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of anointing, the Holy Spirit which brings us into remembrance of Christ, teaching us, enabling us that we might hear the Gospel as God said, I'll write My law on their inward parts. The rod of thy strength out of Zion. This is not the rod of Aaron. This is not the rod of David. The Jews believe it was one rod that each man had It's carried along and comes forth. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the rod of God just as Christ is, is, is portrayed as the sword of the Spirit. This is the rod of God. It leads us and guides us and teaches us and protects us. It's the law written upon our heart. The Bible says in Galatians that the Scripture of four preached the Gospel unto Abraham. The Scripture was not yet written. How did the Scripture preach the Gospel to Abraham before Moses was even born who wrote the first five books of the Bible? He did it in Christ, the rod of God. Isaiah 11, And a rod shall come forth from Jesse... This is Christ. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine adversaries. Christ rules in the midst of His adversaries. Why? He, 
while this time is here, while we are living, sojourning, passing through this present evil world and this present evil generation, while the darkness prevails around us, we have the light of God within us. That's why David said in the 23rd Psalm, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. While we dwell here in this dark, sinful earth, God loves us. God is within us. Christ reveals this to us. Christ gives us the Gospel. Christ, everything is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The life, the comfort, everything that we have. He rules in the midst of His enemies. Now, He rules over His enemies. He restrains them. He controls them like the waves of the ocean. They go just so far and they must return because God restrains them. Christ restrains them. But He rules over us with the Spirit of God. And there's a far more depth of intimacy in that. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Okay? This rod that comes forth, this Christ, we can relay also to Revelation 6 of He that's, who sat upon the white horse. We know that's Christ. Going forth, conquering and to conquer. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's from Christ. It's of Christ. It teaches us of Christ. It does not give life. Christ does that. But it brings life and immortality to light by the preaching of the Gospel. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Why are they willing? Because they're born of the Spirit of God. God has quickened them. God has given them life. All this in Christ and His sacrifice. We have the Gospel. We have the preaching. God made us willing God put the desire within our heart, Philippians 2. I've said that so much I shouldn't have to say it again. For it is God was working in you. It's the work of God. It's the hand of God. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. The power of Christ and the preaching of the Gospel. I say this and I'm going to say it again. Some folks get mad at me for saying this and I'm going to shut up with that and say it. If the Gospel is the means by which God calls, catch this, born again sinners already given life to the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ, why in the world will we hesitate to preach it? Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness... I think it was last week we were talking about the holiness of God. Maybe may have been the week before. You notice every one of these psalms agree. They all agree in Jesus. And the beauty of holiness, God is holy. God is separate. Christ is God. Second person of the Godhead and God manifests in the flesh in the body of Him. Christ, the man. Holy, separate, far above, far from. So far away from us we can't see Him. We can't come to Him. We have no desire to seek Him or know Him by the nature of our rebellious, Adamic state of nature. But He calls us. And He, in His holiness... And His finished work, we're made holy in Him. He sanctified. He died for us. He sanctifies us, set us aside. That means makes holy in His blood. In His blood. That we might be able to stand not only before God, but to stand with Christ and to know Christ and to love Christ From the beauties of holiness, the beauty so, so far above us, the beauties of holiness, separate from sinners, 
from the womb of the morning. Oh, this is so precious, Lord. A womb brings forth life. We grew up on a farm. A lot of us have. I've seen horses, cattle, pigs, goats, sheep, cats, just about every creature imaginable that would have on a farm, I've seen them born. In the delivery room, saw both of my sons born, come forth from that womb, that life. The womb, life of the morning. The womb of the morning. All the darkness of the sin of this world. Yet God gives us life by the womb. Life. He quickens us. He gives us life by the womb of the morning. What happens in the morning? The sun comes up. The light comes up. The light comes in. Christ is the light of God. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, God has given life to His people. Thou, Christ, hast the dew of thy youth. We mentioned last week about Christ being 35, 33 and a half years old, did not even live to half the lifespan of a man when he was crucified, three score and ten years. But that's not what this is talking about. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. Youth. Born. First of all, second Psalm says. This day, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That is Christ coming forth from the tomb. So we see the newness of life, the dew of thy youth, the firstborn, the first begotten, as he gives us life, the dew. Why dew? Deuteronomy 32, under the law, give ear, O ye heavens, and I, God, will speak and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. What does the rain do? The rain waters the ground. The rain causes things to grow. So what is he talking about? His doctrine, his spirit, Christ and him crucified, Drops is the rain. And my speech shall distill as the dew. It's very gentle. As a small rain upon the tender herb, as the showers water, uh, as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish what? The name of the Lord, to describe your greatness unto our God. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. I do not remember when this happened to me. Some people can tell you when they think they were born of the Spirit. A great revelation falling upon their face. I thank God for that. I don't remember not knowing God, but I remember being called in the ministry, if I am. That feeling is so precious. The life from God, the, the, the dew of the youth. When you're firstborn, all in Christ and the preciousness of that. He said, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Genesis 14. Let's talk about Melchizedek just a minute. This is after the slaughter of the kings. Lot was carried away. Abraham retrieved him with his servants. Abraham's servants conquered. 
delivered them. Verse 17, Genesis 14, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, Abram, after his return from slaughter, and of the kings that were with him at the valley, which is the king's dale, and Melchizedek, king of Salem. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. We'll get back to that in Hebrews. King of Salem. Salem means peace. The peace of God. The word Jerusalem, which is the name of the church, the holy city, New Jerusalem, it means the foundation of God's peace. It's laid upon the church because the church in the kingdom in this world is the foundation of God's peace with His people and to His people. Melchizedek is the king. The name means king of righteousness. So he's righteous. Brought forth bread and wine. Can we see the body of Christ? Can we see we, we just took communion a few weeks ago. The bread representing the body of Christ, the wine representing the blood of Christ. Melchizedek brought forth bread and wine. There's a communion, there's a comfort in that knowledge. And he was the priest. Catch this now. This man is a king and he is a priest. There is only one king and priest because that is, those are two different offices. This Melchizedek is king of Salem and he's a priest of the Most High God. And you bear in mind that Moses was not yet born. God had not yet given the priesthood to Aaron. As a matter of fact, Hebrews says Aaron was still in the loins of his father. But here's a priest. What does a priest do? They offer sacrifices. And we may get more into that if we've got time. And he blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the most high God, which have delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now, I personally believe this Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate Son of God. The Jews believe it was Shem because he lived past the flood. Some believe he was just what it says, a king, a Canaanite king. We'll get into that in just a minute, but I want to tell you why I believe that he is the pre-incarnate Son of God. I'll give you a few places for shortness of time. We find in Genesis 18, verse 1, the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. This is not a vision. This is the Lord pre-incarnate sitting in the tent of Abraham. God is invisible, cannot be seen. The living Word of God manifests the Father to us. There's no way to see God except Christ. There's no way to know God except in Christ. It's called what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The manifestation of the Son of God. This is nothing new. Genesis chapter 1, they hid themselves from the presence of God and they heard His voice. We hid ourselves. We covered ourselves with little fig leaves and we hid ourselves because we were naked. They didn't want God to see them. You'll never convince me God did not walk with Adam in the garden and God was there that they could see Him as the pre-incarnate Son of God. And so we see here, he sat with Abram, Abraham in a body that he could see, pre-incarnate. 
Well, what's the difference in pre-incarnate and incarnate? Because pre-incarnate is the eternal Son of God manifesting the Godhead, the fullness of God to God's people in the Old Testament. They saw by their eyes. We see by faith. I don't need the Ark of the Covenant to know it exists. It was a type of Christ. I don't need the cup Christ drank the communion table with. I don't have to have that to know He's God. I don't have to know that, have that to know that He's the Son of God. I know that by faith because God has written His law on my part. But I'm making my point. He's sitting there. He's sitting there. I'll give you one more. Joshua, just to move forward because I'm going to be out of town and I'm going to be nowhere near through. Joshua 5. I'll start in verse 13. They had crossed the River Jordan. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man, a man over higher than against, opposite from, Him. Higher than a man, against a man, because He's holy and we're sin. With His sword drawn in His hand. That's not a little harp playing music, saying kumbaya, that's a sword, because Christ is the sword of the Spirit. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. This is the pre-incarnate Son of God. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And saith unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Okay, Melchizedek. Back to that. Those were given that you might see that the Lord manifested Himself to His people physically where they could see Him with their eyes in the Old Testament. Why would it be any different with Melchizedek who came bringing bread and wine? Hebrews 5. I'm not going to have time to get into all this. Let me go to 7. For this Melchizedek king of Salem, peace of God, priest of the Most High God, there was no priesthood yet, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. God blesses us. The less is always blessed of the greater. We're blessed from God. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, that's Christ, only one, and after that also king of Salem, the peace of God, king of peace, that's Christ, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days, nor end of life. I've heard somebody say, well, you know, uh, Shem was old. They forgot who his mama and daddy were. Uh, They didn't have his lineage. I do not believe that with the careful records kept of the uh, history of Noah and his three sons and all that's pinned down in Scripture. You will never convince me they did not know how old Shem was. This is Christ. Pre-incarnate. I believe that. Without father, earthly father. Without mother, earthly mother. Without descent, no pedigree. Having neither beginning of days because He's eternal, nor end of life because He's eternal, but made like unto the Son of God. What's the difference here? Here is the pre-incarnate Son of God, yea, in fact, God Himself, manifesting Him in the flesh by the living Word of God by Jesus Christ to His people in the Old Testament. Here in the New Testament, He manifests Himself to us by faith. He was made like unto the Son of God. He was the same exact One in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
as He was and is in the New Testament. So what's the difference? In the Old Testament, He was pre-incarnate. In the New Testament, He has been born of a woman. He has been born of God. He walked in this world. He laid His life down. He raised His life back up. All the miracles, all the works that He did. He was like the Son of God. He was made like into the Son of God. Yea, in fact, I believe He was the Son of God, but He was not yet born in the world. He was not yet born of a woman. He would not yet taken upon Himself the likeness of sinful flesh and saved their people from their sins because we're talking about a change of the priesthood. And He came from Judah. Judah wasn't a priesthood. Levi was. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. Now consider how great this man was. He's talking about Melchizedek. Abraham gave him the tenth of all he had. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi receive the priesthood. They have a commandment to take tithes. And he goes on and tells us that Aaron paid tithes to Melchizedek because he was in the loins of his father. He whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And he goes on down, and I'll start with verse 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Aaron was called to Aaron and his sons was the priesthood given. Levitical priesthood. Christ came by oath. What oath? Psalm 110. Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. There are priests forever after the order of Melchizedek. i got to move. Seventh, the Lord sprang out of Judah. Moses didn't say anything about that. It's changing the priesthood. Not Levi, but Judah. But there's a far greater change in the priesthood, okay? Because those priests under the law would serve their ministry and they would die. They would offer sacrifices to God and they would die. They would slay those animals and kill them and put their blood upon the altar and the book and the things God commanded them to put it upon and they would live their life and they would die and their ministry was over. But Jesus Christ laid His life down. He raised it up. He offered sacrifice to God as the Lamb of God. He changed the priesthood. His priesthood is forever. He will never die again. Death cannot touch Him. It's not possible. He did that one time and forever perfected that sacrifice. And in that way, the priesthood is changed. Lots to be said there some other time. The Lord at thy right hand the Lord God, the Lord Christ the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of His wrath. Psalm 2 and Acts 4 teach us these kings were Pilate and Herod. And the horrible deaths they died. Their power taken away. And even the rulers of the Jewish people. He shall strike through, completely through kings in the day of His wrath. This kind of disputes the fallacy of the meek, gentle Christ with hippie hair and begging you to come to Him. Help me save you, does it not? He came to God as the Lamb of God, but He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is merciful to us because His mercy endures forever and He loves us. 
But He is a God of wrath. That was proven on those kings in Rome and Judea and upon what happened to Rome in the days it was destroyed. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike two kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. In Well, He judges among the heathen today. We've already mentioned that because He restrains them. We're speaking of fools, those that say there is no God at this point in time. That's what I'm speaking about, and we'll go the other way too. He controls them, He restrains them, He punishes them. Uh, I had an old police tell me when I first started, when you catch a guy for robbing a bank or a store or something like that, he said, it's just because the Lord said, that's enough, today's your day. And I go along with that. I police long enough to know that's true. Lord said, I'm tired of you doing this and you going to jail. And that's what I believe. You just don't stumble into some stuff without it being providence because somebody deserves the results of their actions and there is a consequence for actions. But He'll judge among the heathen. On the last day, depart from Me, ye cursed. He will never say, depart from Me to His children. Come, Inherit the kingdom. We were the heathen. Paul tells us in Ephesians, we had our part of this world in its darkness. We were without being Gentiles, without God in the world. God judges among us. God gave us life. That's that same rod of Christ. God leads us. God guides us. God, first of all, gave us life. God teaches us. Talked about chastening last week, I believe. God will spank our backside when we need it, and I'm thankful He does. Even that is in His providence and love and mercy. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. Okay, He judges among the heathen. Let's look at the wicked for just a moment. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. There have been many great battles in history. Some of them recorded. Some in Old Testament Israel. In this text, dealing with the kings that He strikes through, it always brings my mind to the destruction of Jerusalem. And so I'll... Touch that just a moment. He shall fill the place with the dead bodies. There were so many dead bodies after the Romans destroyed the city. They killed Jews, they killed Jews, they killed Jews. I'm not talking bad about Jews, I'm giving you history. The fact of Hitler just disturbs me greatly. I feel so sorrowful for those people. I feel sorrowful in the human nature of those who were there in Jerusalem that were His. They even committed mass suicide to keep their women from being abused. He shall judge among the heathen. The wicked, God's enemies among the Jews in that day were destroyed. Remember He told them, see the army, the city compassed with armies flee? They left. The wicked perished. We can see that. Rome pagan, Rome papal, 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 however you pronounce it. We will see it again. And if long enough, again, if the world lasts. Because God judges the wicked. He shall fill the place with dead bodies. Their bodies were stacked up. He shall wound the heads over many countries. This, I believe, is speaking about Satan himself the prince of the power of the air, the dark one who reigns over the kingdoms of the world through reprobate men. And He will 
He has and He will wound their heads over many countries. Some people relate this to the Roman downfall and the nations involved in that which we went through going through Revelation. One, both. The fact is, Christ defeats the wicked. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. The living Word, all God. The Son of Man, all man in the body. Remember that. For He shall drink of the brook in the way. That's Kidron. It's the Mount of Olives. You come down the valley of Kidron. You cross the brook. Come up to the place where Christ was crucified. (laughs) Nothing's by coincidence that God does. To the place where the Lord appeared to Abraham when He took His Son, His only Son, Isaac, and offered Him by command of God to He offer Him as a sacrifice. And God stayed His hand. And Abraham said, the Lord Himself shall provide a sacrifice. Well, here is a sacrifice. The Lamb of God. He came down. He crossed Kedron. The brook... David crossed it. Second Samuel 15 brought the people with him. Christ crossed it, brought us with him. Came to the Mount of Olives, betrayed. Came down, crossed the brook Kidron. Kidron in the valley was full of dead people. There were cemeteries there. They would dump the dead there. Kings of Israel, uh, righteous kings, would take the idols of all that the people of Israel would worship, which were of the peoples around them in the land God drove them out so His people could inherit. And they would destroy them there. It teaches us everything that Christ came through and everything that Christ defeated. The idolatry, the death, the stench, the garbage. It was like a dump. He shall drink of the brook in the way Kidron. Therefore shall he lift up the head. And Jesus cried out, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He laid his life down. His spirit went back to glory with the Lord. But He lifts up His head. He came forth from the tomb. He defeated death, the devil. He reigns over Zion. As long as this world exists, He will reign over Zion. He is a living, risen Savior. And He shall lift up His head. He is alive forevermore.